Take out your Bibles, please. Open them up to the book of Jude. We continue our study through God's Word, verse by verse. Take out your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one under a seat close by in front of you. Jude. Go to the back of your Bible, book of Revelation, and keep going to the left until you get to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. One more page, there's Jude. Short letter, but very, very powerful and full. Jude, verse 1, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are the called... Beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Jude, we see right here in the, in the opening and we understand that this is a man named Judas, called Jude for short, half-brother of our Lord and Savior, grew up in the household with Jesus. The brother of James, as it is said here, Mark chapter 6 tells us that Jesus had a few brothers. James, as we studied his letter a few months ago, Joseph, or Joseph, Joe Jr., Judas here, and Simon, the brothers that are listed there. Also, it tells us that, the, that Jesus had at least a couple of sisters, so a pretty large family that, that grew up together. But the Bible tells us, the Gospels reveal to us, that growing up in, in Jesus' early years in his ministry, his brothers did not believe that he was the Messiah. They did not believe in him until after his death and resurrection. But then they came to the faith as you and I do, surrendering their lives to him as not their brother. Notice now, Jude, he doesn't name drop at the beginning saying brother of Jesus. No, he says slave of Jesus, bond servant of Jesus. And he's writing this letter to Christians, to those who are called, those who have been called by God, those who have answered that call on their lives, beloved by the Father, and kept, carefully watched over and guarded by our Lord and Savior. He begins this letter with, with some blessings, as is customary with those letters as we've gone through. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. I love that. Again, multiplied. That is God's desire for us as his children. Not that we just get little sprinkles here and there of his blessing, but that it is poured out upon us. He doesn't say that it's added to you, multiplied to you. I love God's math when it comes to his blessings. He continues, verse 3, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. He says, guys, I, I sat down to write you a letter, a, a, an encouraging letter, a letter, you know, really kind of maybe even an inspirational little devotional about our common salvation. Now, he doesn't say common salvation like it's kind of no big deal. No, common because we all share the same salvation, the same faith. Notice he says, contend earnestly for the faith, not a faith, the faith. So this common salvation that we share because we have trusted in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And I wanted to just send you a little inspirational thing about that, but Jude says, the Holy Spirit got a hold of my heart and had me write this to you, that you contend earnestly for the faith. 
contend earnestly. This passionate plea that, that we have as we understand the, the, the tense in which he's writing, I'm appealing to you that you contend earnestly for the faith, to fight for it, to defend it. And again, the definitive article is used here, the faith, the faith based on the truth, as we talked about last week when we studied Second and Third John. Notice he says, I'm appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith. This is a responsibility for all of us as born-again believers, that we contend earnestly for the faith. And notice it doesn't stop there. It says, which was once for all handed down to the saints. The faith that comes to us in the complete and total word of God, but nothing more. Once for all handed down, as we've talked so many times, there's so many out there that will say, well, that's a good start, but God has further revelation to, to this man on the mountain or through this angel or through all of these other things. Jude says very specifically, this faith that we share, the common, true, and saving faith was once for all handed down. Once for all. And again, the truth of God's word is where we find that. Romans 10, 17 tells us that faith, this faith that we have, comes by hearing. And hearing by what? The word of Christ. The word of Christ. Once for all, handed down. Now, how do we look at this? We say, contend earnestly, fight for, defend. How do we defend this? How do we defend the truth of God's word? Well, somebody asked that to Charles Spurgeon one day. And he says, well, how do you defend a ravenous lion? You open up the cage and let him out. And that's what we are to do is to open up God's word, understand the truth of God's word, and let it out. We don't add to it, change it. The truth of God's word that brings us the, the glorious truth of this precious faith that we have. Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. He's not speaking of a building, obviously. He's speaking of the family of God. And we have this responsibility. This is how we are to conduct ourselves as part of this family of God, that we are to support the truth. We are to be the pillar that holds it up. Not, not thinking, man, this is a heavy task. We've got to figure out some way to lighten the load. No, we are to hold up and support the truth. We have that responsibility. And it's a needed thing. It was then, and it is now. And Jude tells us, verse 4, for certain men, this is the reason, certain men, certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. People have crept into the church, Judas saying. They've come in unnoticed. They don't just walk in and announce themselves. Hey, I'm your friendly neighborhood wolf dressed in sheep's clothing. Don't mind me. They come in unnoticed. They seem to blend right in. Everything seems to be okay, creeping in, slithering in stealthily. And in our day and age, we see this in a far bigger way than just meeting in groups together. These men, these persons have slithered in, have crept in through the internet, through the television, 
and through Christian bookstores. Guys, just because it is in a Christian bookstore next to the Bible section does not mean it contains truth. Just because it is on TBN does not mean it contains only truth. Please understand, they have slithered in, they have crept in here too. And how do we identify them? Well, he gives us a couple of things here. These ungodly people have turned the grace of God into licentiousness. They have taken God's grace, this amazing gift, this gift that we have. We have been saved by grace through faith. And they take that grace and they say, because you're covered by grace, you're covered to do whatever you want. Live however you want to. That that this grace of God is a license to sin. Now, please understand also that this comes in two very different flavors. This license to sin comes overtly. We see this in a lot of places too. Just Just in openly practicing sin. But it also comes covertly by never mentioning sin. We take the grace of God and we say, okay, because we're covered by grace, we're not going to even talk about sin. We, we don't want to do that because that might offend people. People might not come back next week. They certainly will stop giving if we stop talking about sin. So we'll just not do that. Guys, please understand that God's acceptance of sinners is not his acceptance of sin. God is a holy God, and he cannot accept sin. It's not that he will not. He cannot It goes, it's against his very nature. And by saying anything different, we deny the only master and Lord that we have, that is Jesus Christ. We deny the only master and Lord when we say there's any other possible way to get to heaven. And that that message has permeated the church today that, oh, you know what? Yeah, here's, here's a way, but it doesn't mean that this is the only way. That's not what Jesus said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. There's, there's teaching out there in, in, in books that are sold in Christian bookstores that says that it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Deny our only master and Lord. Master and Lord. Again, Jude writing here saying, we need to understand that this is, this is our faith. He is master and Lord. The two Greek words there are despotes and kurios. Despotes is where we get our word despot, which means absolute total ruler. It doesn't mean majority wins. It doesn't mean that we're controlled by the popular vote. <laughs> we have an absolute ruler, and his name is Jesus. And by the way, He doesn't even want you on his advisory board. (laughs) This word kurios is is slave owner, one who owns a doulos, which is us, a slave. That is what Jude said at the beginning. Jude, a doulos of Jesus Christ, a slave of Jesus Christ. And don't, uh, don't misunderstand what is said here. We've always been slaves. We were slaves to sin before. But he has rescued us from that by purchasing us out of that bondage and slavery into this glorious relationship that we have with him by his very own blood. But so many deny it by what they teach and how they go. And he continues on and he gives us some examples of, of how they deny their only master and Lord. He gives us some biblical examples here in verse five, pointing back to the Old Testament. He says, Now, I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, 
that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Now, I like how, how Jude points this out, and we talked when Peter did this as well. He said, he said, now I know you know this already, but I want to bring it back to your remembrance. Well, I, I want to bring it up so that, to, to illustrate this, to point it out. And John Calvin said that, that the Bible for believers does a few things for us. Two specifically are that it teaches us things that we couldn't possibly have otherwise known. But as we study those things that we do know, that we, that we have learned in the past, it should rouse within us a serious meditation on those things. And so that's what he's doing here. He's writing to these early church leaders. He's saying, you know this. You, you, you know this. It was, it was delivered to you once for all. You understand this. But I want to bring it to your remembrance that after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe Pointing back to Numbers chapters 13 and 14, and if you were here with us on Wednesday, we're going through the book of Numbers verse by verse, and we covered this very thing. God's timing is really good. And if you missed it, you can go online and you can see that study on Wednesday night. But in it is when the children of Israel, they, they have spent their time, their one year in the wilderness at the Mount Sinai. They've received the Ten Commandments. They've received the training. God told them everything that they need to do when they get to the promised land. They get to the border of the promised land. God says, go in and take it. They said, well, wait a second. Let's send in 12 guys first. Let's, let's send in a group first to kind of scout out the land. And, and Moses agrees, and God tells them to go ahead and, and do it that way. And the spies come back. Joshua and Caleb says, man, it's just like God said. Let's go get it. Let's just, let's just go take it. But the 10 spies said, no, you know what? It's really neat in there, but there's also giants, and they're going to squish us. And so, and so we can't do that. And they, they didn't believe the promises of God, and they listened to the others around them. And that is what Jude is pointing out here, that our walk is a walk of faith. Verse 6, he continues with a couple other examples. Again, how denying our only master and Lord, how these, how these, these turning the grace of God into licentiousness. Verse 6, he says, And angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah in the cities around them. Since they, in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality... And went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal life. Jude doesn't sugarcoat anything here. He comes straight out with the truth. Now you can try to twist this any way you want, but it's clear. God is speaking out against gross immorality, sexual perversion. Those sexual indulgences that are contrary to God's natural order. He gives two examples here. One, it says that angels who did not keep their own domain. We don't know specifically how this happened. I believe it's referring to back to Genesis chapter 6, where it talked about the, 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 the sons of God cohabitating and, and having sexual relations with the daughters of men and that speaking there of fallen angels and, and, the, and this thing, stepping out of their own domain. Gross immorality. It's clear that it's talking of a sexual nature. He, he references in verse 7, Sodom and Gomorrah, going after strange flesh, the sin of homosexuality. 
He uses these two as an example of, of how turning the grace of God into a license to sin. And it was obviously back then an issue, and it's a huge issue today. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Again, when we look at the word of God, it is clear. Yet, with what Jude is telling us here, we need to contend earnestly for the faith because this truth amongst many others, is under attack today. I'm going to read to you a quote from one of the top pastors in what is called the Emerging Church today. It is one of the fastest-growing churches in the country. And this is from one of their leaders. He says, and I quote, this is a quote from Christianity Today in an interview with him. He said, frankly, many of us don't know what we should think about homosexuality. We've heard all sides, but no position has yet won our confidence so that we can say it seems good to the Holy Spirit and us. Perhaps we need a five-year moratorium on making pronouncements. He takes a quote from the book of Acts when the leaders of the early church, including Jesus' brother James, they gathered together and were discussing some things. And they said, it seems good to the, to the Holy Spirit and us to go forward with this. After much prayer and after seeking the Lord and after, in his truth, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and us. And he takes that quote and he says, he plugs that into the, this idea about homosexuality. And he says, you know, we don't know about this. And it hasn't come to the point where we could say it seems good to the Holy Spirit and us. Well, I got news for you. It doesn't matter if it sounds good to you. <laughs> the Holy Spirit says it's true. God's word says it's true. The test is not, is not. You know what? I know it seems good to God about that, but I'm not good with it yet. That's not the test. It's never the test. I think even more shocking is another quote by another emergent leader who says, maybe some evangelicals should tear the book of Romans out of their Bibles and read a Romans free Bible for a few years, then paste it back in. That is a leader in the emergent church today. He says, there's some difficult stuff in Romans, Romans chapter 1, and, and, and we don't like to confront those things, so let's take it out of our Bibles until our consciences are so seared that we can put it back in and we can read it and not feel convicted anymore. Guys, this is, this is what we face today, and that's why it's so important that we contend for the faith, because so many people are being drawn away. Jude continues this passionate plea. He says in verse 8, Yet in the same way these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. These men also dreaming. We talked last week. Truth. I'm sorry, love without truth is fantasy. It's a dream world. 
It doesn't, it doesn't exist in reality. And by spreading this doctrine, it's defiling the flesh, it's rejecting the authority of God's word. And he calls out something, again, specific here, reviling angelic majesties, rebuking evil forces. There are many churches or teachings today that says you go out and you rebuke the devil. You bind Satan. You do it. Jude says, don't even get there. Do not go there. Michael the archangel didn't even do that. He said, the Lord rebuke you. You don't rebuke the devil. The Lord rebuke, the Lord rebuke the devil. He quotes, or he, he, he points to this, this situation that happened that we have no other record of. After Moses died, there was a dispute, a fight over Moses' body that involved, that involved Satan and involved Michael the archangel. I don't have any other information to tell you on that than I know who won. <laughs> but we could go on to a whole lot of speculation, but bottom line is, there's, there's, what the point is, is that this is the Lord's responsibility. We're not to get involved in these spiritual matters at that nature. Peter, if you'll turn back, we see a lot of parallels as we go through the, the, the letter of Jude with 2 Peter. So look back there real quickly with me. 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, he said, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day by day by their lawless deeds, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority, daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring reviling judgments against them before the Lord. So again, here we see a parallel in that, and Peter is saying the same thing. The mighty angels don't even do that. Who are we to think that we can do that? Jude continues, verse 10, but these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals. By these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Woe to them, those who, who speak mightily in these things that they don't even understand. They don't even know what they're saying. But also those things that they know by instinct. They know it's wrong, but they continue to propagate their, their doctrine anyway. He uses three, again, Old Testament examples. First, gone the way of Cain. We see that in Genesis chapter 4, who knew instinctively what he was doing was wrong. Wasn't like after he killed his brother, he goes, Oh, I wasn't supposed to do that. He knew it, but he did it anyway. God even showed up and told him, Cain, sin is crouching at the door, but you must master it. Yet he turned his back on that and did it anyway. 
the error of Balaam. Is the story of Balaam is told to us in Numbers, chapter 22. You didn't know all that was in Numbers, did you? Hey, maybe you should come out on Wednesday night. We see the story of, of Balaam, Numbers 22 and following thereafter. He, he was told by God, do not go and do this, yet he did it anyway for money. Bottom line is he did it, he did it to get rich. He did it for money. And so many ministries have totally taken advantage of people to build their coffers, to get richer and richer and richer, fleecing the flock instead of feeding the flock. And the rebellion of Korah, guess where that is? Numbers. Chapter 16, this Wednesday. Come on out. I'm not going to go into it now. You're going to have to come Wednesday. But bottom line, rebelling against authority. That is the rebellion of Korah. Verse 12 these are, the men, these are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts. When they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the blackness has been reserved forever. Wow. And describing these teachers, these that are coming in, hidden reefs that looks good on the surface. Everything seems to be fine. We're floating along okay. Everything's good. But there's a reef hidden under there that causes shipwreck. Paul said the same, writing to Timothy. Fight the good fight, he said, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. God has given us all a conscience. We know instinctively right from wrong. And as we read God's word, we know more. And we have that conscience, but consciences can be seared, the Bible tells us. And we can become numb to those things, causing shipwreck in our faith. Caring for themselves, he said, selfish ambitions. Clouds without water, I like that. I like that illustration that he gives. There's a lot of parts of the country that don't really understand what that is, but we in Arizona do, don't we? <laughs> Clouds without water. Oh, here it comes. Oh, rain, finally. Uh. And all we get is hot air and dirt. And blocking out of the sun. And I appreciate that illustration because that's exactly what these people do. It's a bunch of hot air, a bunch of dirt, and it blocks out the sun, the S-O-N. Trees without fruit, ships without direction, tossed by the sea, wandering stars. Ships are guided by stars still today, but you know what stars they're guided by? Fixed stars, fixed truth. If we don't have a fixed point, you're following a wandering star, you're following a comet, a shooting star, who knows where you end up, but it's not where you set out to be. Verse 14 it was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Come to convict the ungodly of their ungodly ways, but... Ignoring that conviction, they continue on. 
These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Speaking arrogantly, that Greek word is hooper angos. And I like that because angos is swollen, is the meaning. Hooper means super swollen, over swollen. Basically, he's saying they come to you and they speak all of these big, fancy words. And they sound like they're so smart, but they're really telling you nothing. Great swelling words of nothingness. Again, Second Peter, and I'll just read it to you real quickly. Same chapter, chapter 2, verse 17, he writes, These are springs without waters and mists driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Flattering words. Speaking arrogantly. Manipulating. And Jude tells us it's to take advantage. Manipulating to take advantage. Now, God God has given me, I I guess, a, a real sensitivity to this subject. Maybe even to a fault. But it really bugs me when people change anything about God's word. Anything. Some people have even said, well, yeah, it's not exactly how it, how it is in the Bible, but it's not, it's not really too bad. To me, that just... Oh. And I think what really, really fires my passion in this thing is the motivation behind it. Because... Isaiah 55, 11 says this, and God's speaking, and hear what he says. He says, so will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God's word, when spoken and shared as it is, will accomplish what God sent it out to do. So when I see someone who takes the word of God and changes it, all I can assume is that they are now wanting it to accomplish what they intend for it to do, which is to sell movie tickets, to sell books, to book future speaking engagements, Again, I I quote now from a book written by, again, one of the largest churches in the country, an emergent church leader. It says this, a staggering number of people have, have been taught that a select few Christians will spend forever in a peaceful, joyous place called heaven, while the rest of humanity spends forever in torment and punishment in hell with no chance of anything better. This is misguided and toxic and ultimately subverts the contagious spread of Jesus' message of love, peace, forgiveness, and joy that our world desperately needs to hear. 
this man just called the gospel that is recorded for us in Holy Scripture, God's very word, misguided and toxic. He said, he said they're staggering. People have been told that they, a few Christians will spend forever in a peaceful, joyous place called heaven. That's true. But what a glorious thing it is that we have the opportunity for that. But then he goes on to say, while the rest of humanity spends forever in torment and punishment in hell. That's true. Those who reject the gospel, that is their certain and absolute fate. It doesn't distort God's message of love. If anything, it enhances it. When we share the truth of God's word that we are all sinners and we are all destined to spend eternity in hell facing the wrath of God for the punishment of the sins that we have committed, but God... While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He stepped out of heaven, took on flesh. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross. He suffered and died in our place so that we could exchange our sinful lives for his perfect and righteous life and live eternity in heaven. That's the message the world's got to hear. That is the love of God. And if we change that, the only thing behind it can only possibly be to sell more books because the world doesn't want to hear that. They need to hear that. Verse 17, Jude continues. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. He's quoting 2 Peter 3.3 3 here. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. Worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. Paul wrote to the church in, in Colossae, chapter 2, verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy. Notice he doesn't qualify philosophy. He doesn't say bad philosophy. He says philosophy. Don't get caught up in philosophy. Philosophy, by definition, is a search for a general understanding of values and reality by chiefly speculative rather than observational means. It's a, hey, well, let's just say... Let's just pretend. What if getting involved in these kinds of discussions, Paul says, don't let them take you captive by this. I quote the same author. What if tomorrow someone digs up a definitive proof that Jesus had a real earthly biological father named Larry? And archaeologists find Larry's tomb and do DNA samples and prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the virgin birth was just a bit of mythologizing the gospel writers threw in to appeal to the followers of Mithra and Dionysian, religious cults that they were hugely popular at the time of Jesus, whose gods had virgin births. What if? Could you still be a Christian? Is the way of Jesus still the best possible way to live? Again, this book is available in a Christian bookstore. Guys, this guy doesn't know the word of God. He's saying, what if they did this to, to 
patronize, you know, play along with a couple of cults that were around in Jesus' time. Isaiah talked of the virgin birth 700 years before. Jesus just fulfilled the prophecy. What, what if, what if tomorrow they find irrefutable proof that gravity doesn't exist? Are you going to float away? What if? Let's just play this silly, stupid game. Guys, I got to tell you, and this is by no power of my own, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit within me, I am more absolutely certain of my eternal destiny than I am of the gravity that holds me to this stage. Because the one who paid for my freedom, the one who paid for it, the Bible tells me everything is held in his hand. He created gravity. And one day he's just going <laughs> to... Verse 20, what do we do about this? What do we do about this? How do we contend earnestly for the faith? How do we do this? Verse 20, but you, beloved, I love that, but you, but you, this is all around us, but you, beloved, solid, lover of God, defender of the truth, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. First, we need to be ongoing with construction. We have the solid foundation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but building yourselves up in the most holy faith, ongoing with construction, reading the word of God. Guys, every day be in the word of God studying it, meditating on it, and obeying it. Peter tells us to add to our faith moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love, building on this foundation the truths that we receive in God's word. Ongoing with construction, confident with supplication, praying in the Holy Spirit. We talked a couple of weeks ago about praying and praying God's will and those prayers that are answered as we study God's word and we understand what he desires of us and we pray as we're studying his word. He lays his desires on our heart and we have the privilege of then lifting them up to him in prayer and supplication. And then, the, then he pours out his blessing answering those prayers. That is what we are called to do. Keep yourselves in the love of God. He does not say keep yourselves loved by God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the sunshine. Ha, the moon, full moon, beautiful moon, reflecting the, the light of the sun, right? Well, how, what, what change is that? When the world gets in the way, right? As the world comes between the sun and the moon, it's darkened out, it's blocked out. Don't let the world get in the way of the sunshine, S-O-N. The other thing that, that happens is if the moon turns around, turns away, dark side of the moon, get the world out of the way, keep seeking him, filled with anticipation, lastly, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Now we know in part, then we will know fully, anxiously awaiting his return. So we take, take these tools and we do these daily and moving forward, verse 22, and have mercy on some who are doubting. 
Guys, as Christians, we can do so much damage to people who are doubting their faith, that are going through a time of doubt. We can come across so pious and, well, you just need more faith. Really? That's the whole problem. I'm doubting that. <laughs> and we can come across again and, and be so pious in this thing. But bottom line, if, if you've never doubted your faith, A, you don't have it, or B, you're a liar. Because <laughs> we've all gone through those times of, of, of uncertainty. And it's then is when we need a good Christian brother and sister to come alongside us. And that's what Jude is saying. Have mercy on those. Save others, verse 23, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by flesh. Contend for the faith, but do it without being contentious. We need to be loving and caring. Paul again writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. Gentleness. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. Guys, we should never be in it to win an argument. We should always be in it to win a soul. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Understand, that's where they are. And that's where we were. That's what we're called to do, guys. <laughs> Defending the faith, contending for it, loving those patiently. It says, able to teach. <laughs> we need to know the word of God before we can teach the word of God. Be in it, studying it. Well, Jude closes this letter. I love this closing. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, stay in the sunshine, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Wow. To make us... To stand in his presence, blameless. To stand before the perfect, almighty, holy God. And to be able to stand in his presence, blameless. That is only done and only accomplished one way. And that is to take our sinful life and go to the cross and exchange it there for his righteous life. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians. That is the only way it happens. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. We can't do enough to attain it. It's a matter of recognizing that we are a sinner, turning from our sin, repenting of our sin, receiving his grace, his mercy, his love, his forgiveness, receiving eternal life. Can I ask a question? Why would we want to change that? Why would we want to change that? We stand blameless before him because of what he did for us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for that incredible truth that for those of us who call you Lord, who have surrendered our lives and our eternity to you, who have brought our sin to the cross, have repented of our sin and received your forgiveness, Lord, we stand before you blameless. This is 
the faith that has been handed to us. Lord, I pray that each one of us would consider this so precious that we would contend earnestly for it. Lord, that you would give us opportunity to gently speak the truth in love to those that are so deceived. The world is full of those deceived around us, those who have bought in to the lie. Lord, those who quite frankly, willingly have accumulated for themselves teachers who will tickle their ears. Lord, I pray that you would bring conviction upon them and use us to share the truth of your word. Lord, I pray for a great harvest in these last days. Lord, use us. Lord, I pray specifically for these pastors that I have quoted this, this morning and all the others. Lord, that you would bring heavy conviction upon them, full repentance to them. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. And we joyfully sing your praises. In your name we pray.